Good morning, everyone. So we're coming to the end, the last stretch, the um, fifth and final chapter in Beya, page 37a. So we learned yesterday in the Mishnah, whatever you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, not allowed to do on Yom Tiv, whether it's something that's a rishus, totally rishus, there's no mitzvah involved, but the rabbis forbid you to do it, or he says, or shvus, or you have rishus, it means it's a little mitzvah, but it's not a big mitzvah, so the rabbis don't allow you to do it, or, or if it's a big mitzvah. So right now he's describing what's, what do you mean a small mitzvah, rishus, it's a, a little mitzvah. So he says, for example, he says you're not allowed to judge. Judging is a mitzvah. But the, the, it's, oh, he calls it rishus. It's a small mitzvah because you have other people, greater people than you in town who can judge. So it's not, or you're not allowed to get married. What do you mean? You're not allowed to get married. It's a big mitzvah. Yes, you're not allowed to get married. Why do you call it rishus? It's not, it's not rishus. It's uh, obligatory. It's the first mitzvah in the Torah. So he says we're talking about someone who already fulfilled. He has a wife and he has children. He already fulfilled his mitzvah. And nevertheless, there's a small mitzvah that a person should continue. Even if you have the boy and girl, you should try to have as many children as possible. Then the Mishnah says, You're not allowed to do a chalitza or a yibo, a leveret marriage. Take one of a mitzvah cover. What do you call it? Rishos, a mitzvah. You know, we're talking about it here, or the ikagadl. There is a bigger brother. A mitzvah begadl. The mitzvah is begadl, the so therefore, for him, he's also, it's a mitzvah, but it's not the big mitzvah. The big mitzvah is for the brother. If he would do it, he would also fulfill a mitzvah. He's supposed to rishuz. Why do the rabbis forbid to fulfill all these things, to do all these things on Yom Tif and Shabbos? Why shouldn't you be allowed to judge? What, what? I'm not doing any work. Why shouldn't you be allowed to, to get married, make a kedushin? Why shouldn't you be allowed to do a le- leveret, a chalitza or a yibum? It's all a decree. Maybe you're going to write it down. You're going to want to record it. You're going to want to record the the, uh, the ruling. You're going to write. You're going to write the kedushin. You're going to write a star. Especially today, we write the ksuba there also together with it. That's why you don't get married on Shabbos. Also, a star chalitza and a ksuba for your vama. So you're going to make come to write all these things. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mitzvah, right? <laughs> you should only get married in Shabbos. In Israel, then he says, Then there are things which are mitzvah. Today's Rambam, we started learning the laws of Erechim, you're not allowed to sanctify something, dedicate something, sanctify it to the temple, treasury, to say, I'm, I'm evaluating the value of this, and I'm dedicating the value of so and so. You're not allowed to excommunicate it and give it away to the Kayin, to the base of English. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. But nevertheless, the rabbis forbid you. Why? The same reason the rabbis didn't allow you to do business. So it's similar to business. What's business? Business is I take away from your domain and now I transfer the property to me. You sell it to me. You transfer the ownership from you to the, from the seller to the buyer. What's the reason why you're not? Isn't it because you're going to So yeah, the reason why you're not to business is because you can come to write. Why is it Why is it exeter, exeter? No, so questions that you don't write. Hegdish, I don't have to write anything. 
question is, Hector said I don't have to write anything. When I sanctify, so I don't have to write anything. I'm not writing anything down. So you can't say you're not allowed to sanctify or evaluate because I'm going to write. I'm not writing. But the problem is it's, it's similar to business. You're transferring from your property possession to the tra- possession of the, of the temple, the treasury, the base of Migdor. So it's similar to business. Therefore, when they made the decree, you're not allowed to do business because you're not allowed to write. He said, any transfer of property you're not allowed to do on Shabbos and Yom. So that includes, incorporates even... Because it's one? It's one gazeta, exactly. That's what he said. It's one gazeta. When they made that gazeta, they incorporated any transfer. So it's one gazeta. Not like they made a decree to decree. You can allow him to sanctify. He's going to come to do business. If he's going to come to do business, he's going to come to write. That would be gazeta to gazeta. Very good. That's sharp. No, business you're not allowed to do because of writing. That's clear. That's clear. Business you're not allowed to do because of writing. But here, when they made the decree, don't do business, they, they, they broadened the category that any transfer of property we don't allow. Because if you allow transfer of property, it's going to come. That includes business, and that's going to lead to writing. Then Rashi, that's how Rashi explains it in the second explanation. The first explanation Rashi says that we find in the Tanakh that business is prohibited. It says in Isaiah, you have to abstain on Shabbos from going about your, your regular business. It says in Ezra that he found that everyone was doing business. All the markets were open, all the malls were packed. Shabbos is a perfect time. <laughs> everyone had free time. That's when they did all their shopping. <laughs> Forget about the shul, the rabbi, forget about the, the, the busy whole-day shopping. <laughs> no, no, no. No more, no more shopping, shut down all the, all the... Anyway, so it actually says in the first thing that this is a Pasuk in the Yeshaya. This is much earlier than Ezra. And the Yeshaya already says that Shabbos, you have to abstain from business. Taisus quotes both explanations of Rashi. He doesn't argue. He just brings both explanations of Rashi, whether it's rabbinic or whether we find in the, in the Navi already that it's, that it's forbidden. This was before the Gzedas. If it's in Yeshaya, it's nothing to do with the Gzedas. This is before the rabbis made all these decrees. All these Gzedas started in the second base of Mikdash. Magic Nessus started. There was no Gzedas in the first base of Mikdash. When they had Simchas Beis Shreve, they had it the first night with music. There was no Gzedas. But nevertheless, Yeshaya says you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do business. Nothing to do with the Gzedas. Just, just, it's not Shabbos day. Shabbos is not a time to do business. That's the first explanation of Rashi. And Jesus brings another explanation. Inami, it's, it's rabbinic, and, uh, but they made the decree against any transfer of property. Then the mission says, well, it might be in Trumas and Maisi. Not to separate Trumas and Maisi. But as. Obviously. Right. Because you're fixing it. You're fixing the, the fruits. Before I couldn't eat it. Now I'm fixing it. So it's like fixing on Shabbos, which you're not allowed to do. Shabbos a yom says, If you want to give it to the Koyan that very day. So even though it's not obvious that you're doing it in order to fix the rest of the fruits for yourself. I do I want to give the koyin. I want to give him his share. This belongs to you. Here, take it through my you have something to eat. Face the yamtiv. I'm being kind. I'm doing I'm doing the yamtiv thicker thing. Which is to on yamtiv you have to take the title says you have to take a special effort to make sure the levy is well fed, the koyin is well fed. So I'm taking the truma to give it to him. So it's not obvious that I'm fixing. 
Yeah, I'm giving him food, and you have to, you have to, Yamtiv, you have to include the Levium and the Yisoyimim and the Ammonis. That's the definition of Yamtiv. It should be Simcha for everyone. So it's not obvious that I'm, yes, by the way, I'm also fixing the rest of the fruit for myself that now I can eat from it. But that's not so obvious, and maybe it will be allowed. Really, it's a good question. It's a very good question. He's saying, with the, why, why, according to Rabbi Huda, why would Rabbi Huda argue on this Allah? Because Rabbi Huda says, Mashiri from that is allowed. So, what do I care if I'm fixing the mud? If I'm fixing I'm allowed to fix it, that enables me to eat from it. That's a good question. Honey, Mili says, Paid it, This is only true fruit that became tab. When is the, are you prohibited from separating through my He says, We could have done it yesterday. It already became tevel, as we learned. We learned a great length. It reaches a point when you're not no longer allowed to eat from the fruit before you're tight. There's a point before the fruit, the fruit is where the food is fully processed. I'm allowed to eat from it or snack from it. But but once it reaches a point, we I'm no longer even allowed to snack from it until you uh, separate through a miser. So therefore, since it reached that point before Shabbos, before Yamtiv, before Yamtiv, you could have done it yesterday. But fruits, food that became tevel, only reached that point on Yomtev, for example, Gugoyim, for example, Isa. The only time you come obligated to separate challah is once, is once you, you need the dough. I didn't, so I couldn't separate it yesterday. I didn't make the dough till today. I'm baking on Yomtev, so I'm making the dough today. So now it becomes obligated on challah. In that case, Mafrushin, then of course you're allowed to separate, and you give it to the koyim. So you're giving it to them that day, so that's this, and you're giving it to them, and then it's no problem. Okay. So your mother says, your mother asks, Hani, Mishum Mishus Ike, Mishum Mishus Leka. It's only the Shus. It's not Shavuz. All of them are, have her Shavuz. All of them the rabbis prohibit. Whether it's Shavuz or Mitzvah, the rabbis prohibit you from doing it. There's no Shavuz. They're also pro- prohibited. So why does he only mention Shavuz in the beginning of the mission? It says... Whoever you're obligated because of Shavuz, because of Rishus, because of Mitzvah. Why does he separate into three different categories? All of them is Shavuz. All of them the rabbis prohibit you from doing. Hmm. He's going in degree. Not only Shavuz, even. It's only a Shavuz. You're not allowed to. Even though there's a slight mitzvah involved. So you think maybe the rabbis override their prohibition in that case. Even if it's a full-blown mitzvah, like Trumas and Mises, nevertheless, the rabbis enacted their prohibitions and said that you're not allowed to fulfill this mitzvah and um, because the rabbis prohibit Okay, it says right, uh, right in the mission, uh, all of this is only on Yom How much more so Shabbos? On Yom how much more so Shabbos? 
and there's no difference in Shabbos and Yantiv. The Mishnah concludes only Oichel Nefesh. And on Yantiv, you're allowed to cook, you're allowed to carry, but other things, there's absolutely no difference. Whatever the rabbis prohibit on Shabbos, the rabbis prohibit on Yantiv. I'll ask you a question. We learned earlier in the beginning of the chapter, the rabbis did make a distinction in Shabbos and Yantiv. On Shabbos, if you left the grain to dry on the roof, and then the rain is coming, and it's going to ruin and destroy the grain, I'm not allowed to lower it down the skylight and drop it down. But on Yom Tif, I am allowed to. So you see, there is a distinction from Shabbos and Yom Tif. There's certain decrees, rabbinic decrees, the rabbis only decreed on Shabbos, not on Yom Tif. How could the Mishnah say there is no difference in Shabbos and Yom Tif? It's a contradiction from one mission to the next. I mean, from Sunday Brais is the mission. It's not a contradiction. This is an argument in Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua. If the mother and, and its offspring fell into the pit, and now I'm only allowed to slaughter one of them. The Torah says you're not allowed to slaughter on the same day the mother and the offspring. Mm-hmm. So, I'm only, now, it's a big exertion to remove the animal from the pit. Fell into a pit. So, if I'm doing it to eat from the, the one I'm going to eat from, that's allowed. But how do I save both of them? The animal is stuck in the pit. Two animals. I can only eat one of them. So, what do I do? says, tough luck. You could only take out one, the one you're going to eat, and then you have to slaughter it and eat it. And the other one, do, the, do your best and shouldn't die. Throw down food in the pit, but you can't lift it up. Rabbi Shua says, no, there's, a, there's an answer. There's a way we can get, a, get around it. Say, I'm going to slaughter the first one and, and lift it up and then say, you know, I changed my mind. I'm not going to slaughter this one. <laughs> I like the other one. I prefer the other one better. It's like a, it's like a trick. And then take out the other one. Then once you took them both out of the pit, it's your choice. I can just slaughter either one. So what do we see from here? So the our Mishnah follows Rabbelezer. Rabbelezer says there's no difference. Whatever the rabbis prohibit on Shabbos, they prohibit on Yom Tif. Even you're going to lose money. So Rabbelezer, just like Rabbelezer says there, even though you're going to, one animal may die, it's a loss of money, it's tough luck, and it's only Yom Tif. We don't allow it. We're talking about slaughtering on Yom Tif. It's like a, we don't allow him to take it out of the pit, so you're going to lose money. So according to Rabbelezer, you would also not be allowed to throw down, throw down the, the wheat in, down the skylight to save the wheat from the rain, even though it's going to get ruined. Tough luck. Nothing I can do to help you. So that's our mission. The mission in the beginning, the Braiser that says that when in the opening mission it says you're allowed to, I'm saying the mission that says you are allowed to throw down on Yom Tov, that follows Rabbi Yeshua, who says that we do take into consideration the law, financial loss. And that overrides any prohibition. Yes, you, you, you do it in a sneaky way, but, but it's in order to... The principle here is that we have to protect, we have to protect Jewish money. You can't just throw it out. There's a financial loss involved. Therefore, you have to save the wheat. So the rabbi said, you're allowed to throw down the skylight. Therefore, it's not a contradiction.
it's it's two different opinions. Right. It's exertion. It's exertion. Well, Shabbos, of course not. Shabbos, Shabbos, I can't do anything with it. I can't slaughter it. Because if I can slaughter it, at least I have a way. Have a way of, of sneaking around and saying, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll choose this one, take it out. No, but, but to exert yourself, only, I'm only, I know I'm only going to eat one animal. So to exert myself on one animal, I know I'm not going to eat from it. Obviously, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, but Yeshua is making a trick. It shows it because I want to eat this one. You take it out, you know, I changed my mind, I like the other one. <laughs> then you take both out, and then you choose whichever one you like. It's exertion. It's exertion. Yeah, Tirfi said that. Yom Tev, they don't allow you. Yom Tev, you have to rest. The main thing of Shabbos and Yom Tev is you have to rest, you have to enjoy it. If, you, if you're going to schlep up and down, you're going to exert yourself, you're going to save all your hard work for Yom Tev. No, whatever is prohibited. Whatever is prohibited. Whatever is prohibited, yeah. Your mother says, Amalei Abayas, Abayas, said to Rabbi Yisai, how do you know this? I can question your, your comparison. Dilma, perhaps, ah, can they come to Rabbi Lezer, Hossam, Defshir, Pernos? There, Rabbi Lezer says that you're not allowed to take out the second animal because I have an option that there shouldn't be a financial loss. I can, I can throw down food, make sure that the animal lives. So therefore, there the rabbis don't allow. But here, when the grain is definitely going to get ruined from the rain, even Rabbi Lezer would agree that in, that in Yom Tov you're allowed to throw down the skylight. Inami, or I, perhaps I can say the exact opposite. Only there Rabbi Shua was lenient. Because there you have a trick. You can say, you know, I want to eat this one. I changed my mind. It happens. People change their mind. I want, I prefer the other one. There's no trick here. I know clearly. I'm taking this grain. I'm not eating this grain. I, I, so much grain, I'm not going to eat from it. I already ate my meal. At, I'm just doing it to save the grain. There's no way. There's no trick there. It's obvious. So even Rabbi Shua would say I'm not allowed to. So how do you know that? The, so how do you explain the contradiction of our mission and the opening mission that allows you to throw down the skylight? Now, mission says there is no distinction between between Shabbos and Yom Tov. So whatever you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, you're not allowed to throw down the skylight on Shabbos. You would not be allowed to in Yom Tov. Papa. Rather, that Papa says Kash, It's not a contradiction. This is the argument of Shabbos Mesilah. We learned in the Mishnah in Shabbos. You're not allowed to carry on Yom Tif. You're not allowed to carry a minor or a lulav or the Sefer Teder. You're allowed to carry food. But you're not allowed to carry a minor. Teder allows you food. But not a minor, a lulav, a mitzvah, a Sefer Teder. That you're not allowed to that's the argument since the Torah allows you to carry things you're allowed to carry food you're allowed to carry everything as long as there's a, a small need for Yom Tov carrying a child a lulav say for Torah so what do we see from there so the same argument would apply here the deer 
According to Beis Hillel, it says that even you allowed to carry things that are not necessary for Yom Minatayra. So therefore, you're lenient. So therefore, the rabbis would also be lenient. They allowed to move, move the uh, the uh, the wheat that was left to dry. You're allowed to move it and throw it down the skylight. Shammai it says you're very strict, very narrow. I'm only allowed to move on Yom Tov, only things that I need for cooking. Anything else, I'm not allowed to touch. So therefore, that's our Mishnah. Our Mishnah follows Shammai. They have to leave the, the grain on the roof, even though it's going to get ruined and spoiled. There's nothing I can do. I can't touch it. Because I'm not touching it in order to eat. I'm touching it in order to, to save me from a financial room. That you're not allowed to. Just like over there. You're only allowed to touch it strictly, exclusively for eating. Nothing else. Questions are probably says no. How do you know? How do you maybe it's not a good comparison? There you're talking about carrying. Carrying is a biblical one of the 39 categories of work. It's biblical. Whatever you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, not to a Yantu, with the exception of cooking. So you're not allowed to carry if it's not involved cooking. But here we're talking about tiltal, it's only rabbinic. Maybe the rabbis didn't make a distinction. Even Shammai would say the rabbis made a distinction that for financial laws, you are allowed to carry, move a mukta on yamta. says, no, Rapap is correct. Why is tiltal prohibited? Why mukta? What's the reason behind mukta? Allowed to touch muktz, move muktz. Not touch, touch. You're allowed to touch. You're allowed to move muktz. The reason is, this is a reason for muktz. One of the reasons for muktz. There's many reasons given for muktz. One of the reasons is because if you move it, you may come to carry. If you move muktz, you may come to carry it, which is biblical. So therefore, if Shammai holds, you're not allowed to move anything unless. You're not to carry anything unless it's directly associated with eating. So for the same reason, he would hold the rabbis would say you're not allowed to move muktzah because you may come to carry it. If you're already moving it, you may come to carry it, which would be biblically prohibited. Why then are you allowed to move anything? <laughs> are you allowed to move a spoon, a fork to eat? You may come to walk outside with it and carry it. He says because you have no choice. I mean, you have to enjoy Shabbos and Yom. If a person says to himself, let me keep Shabbos, I'm going to tie myself to a bed for 24 hours, and I know, guaranteed, I'm not going to violate a single halach and shulchan because I'm tired, I'm not doing anything. I'll have a catheter, I'll tie myself to a bed, and I won't insist. I didn't violate a single muk, a single muk. That's not an option. Why? Because you already violated Shabbos and Yom. The essence of Shabbos and Yom is the day of pleasure. A day of joy. If you're tied to your bed, what kind of rest is that? What kind of pleasure? If you're quarantined to your bed, that's not pleasure, it's not joy. You're already violated Shabbos. That's not an option. So you have no choice. Caitlin, they allowed to touch you. You have to have choice. But anything that's not usable, that's muktzah. Therefore, the rabbi say, not allowed to even move it because we're worried they may come to carry it. Next mission. Okay, look at mission. Animals and utensils that belong to you, everyone has a tchum. You think quarantining started in the Torah? Shabbos and Yom Tov, you're quarantined. You're not allowed to go beyond the measurement of two thousand amas outside your city. You have to stay stay in your in your domain. You're quarantined. So your animal 
and your vessels have the same quarant- have the same limits as you have. So wherever you're allowed to go, your animal is allowed to go. Wherever you're allowed to go, someone is allowed to take your utensils. Wherever you're not allowed to go, even let's say the person who's borrowing utensils is allowed to walk there, he has a different home than you. He can't take your utensils or your animal to, to himself because your animal is also quarantined together with you and all your utensils have the same limit that you have. If a person tra- transfer, gives over his animal to his son or to the, um, to the shepherd, Still no, he's the owner. So it doesn't follow the tchum of the shepherd or the son. It follows the tchum of the father and the owner. What if there's an estate? The brothers inherited an estate together. But, but clothes that are unique to this person, that these are his clothes that he took from the estate and that he's wearing. You don't say it follows everyone's, everyone's limitation, which would be very limiting. You're only allowed to take it in the place where all the brothers can carry together. No, you follow him because it, it, now it belongs to him. Basically, that's his clothing, his garments, and he belongs to him. But if it's for everyone's usage, where all of them can go. If you have to find a place, you can only take it to a place where all of them are allowed to go. You can have one brother who made a Tchum Shabbos, he's allowed to go a thousand X, a thousand Amas in this way, and he's limited in this direction, the other brothers are limited in that direction. So whatever, only the place where all the brothers are allowed to go together, only there are you allowed to take this kale, this garment of this utensil. If you borrow, you borrow the pot from your friend. Now, when you borrow it, it's like you own it. The person gave it to you, so therefore it follows your tchum. Wherever you're allowed to go, you're allowed to take this utensil with you. But if you borrow in yamtiv, be yamtiv, you borrow on yamtiv, then you're limited, the borrower is limited to the, the, uh, the tchum of the lender. A woman who borrows from a neighbor some spices, water, and salt to add to her dough. And she's only allowed to take the water and the spices and the, and the salt only where both are allowed to go. The lender and the borrower. Buddha says, no, this doesn't apply to water. Because water doesn't have any substance. You know, you're adding it to the dough, you're adding it to the pot, the water doesn't have substance uh, and so on. And, um, and, and we're talking about a place where you can't tell there's water. Your mother will say, we're talking about if it's a very thick uh, uh, dish, so there's no water, you, don't, you can't tell if there's liquid in here. But salt, no one argues, because we're not talking about today's salt, table salt, which is very thin, which also you can't tell. It would be like water, it dissolves, you can't even tell the salt in there. We're talking about thick salt. Thick salt, kosher salt, thick salt, that, uh, that, that's a substantial, and therefore you follow the owner. That's the mission. Okay, your mother explains now Mishnah, we continue on side B, 37B. Mishnah argues with Rabbi Dais. Tanya, the Rabbi Dais, 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 the Rabb
If a person buys an animal the day before Yom Tov, even though he doesn't transfer the animal, until Yom Tov, the animal can go wherever the, bar, the buyer Right. And so on, who, who gives his animal over to the shepherd, even though, when does he hand them over to him? So we follow the shepherd. So the second half of the Mishnah, uh, of the Braise, argues our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says when you give it over to the son or to the shepherd, we follow the owner. The Braise says, says, you follow the shepherd, even if he handed him over the animal on Yom Tov. The first part of the mission, okay, the first part of the mission says, you buy it, so you, you own it, it's your animal. So then even if it was, you, you took possession of it on Yom Tov, it doesn't matter. You follow the buyer, it's his, it's his. it became his yesterday. But the, but the second part of the Braise, where he says that you, that you follow the shepherd, even if it was handed to him on Yom Tov, our mission says even if it was handed to the shepherd before Yom Tov, you follow the owner. So Abdesa uh, argues now, Mishnah. The Gemara says, no, I feel the tamer Abdesa. Really, I'll tell you, our Mishnah is consistent even with Abdesa's opinion. Like, gosh, it's not a contradiction. If there's only one shepherd in town, so everyone. He, is, he, has, he has an exclusive. So everyone places their animal in his possession. So everyone has a mind that, that we're going to follow the, the, uh, the shepherd. So even if you hand it to him, on Yom you follow the shepherd. But our mission is talking about that there's more than one shepherd in town. There's two, there's two shepherds. So I don't know which one the owner had a mind to give it to. I can give it to this one. I can give, I can give my business to another one. I can choose either one. I have two options. I have options. So therefore, therefore, if it comes to Manyamtiv, we follow the owner. So he's saying, right, so he's saying our missionary our mission is talking about it. he gives it to the shepherd and Yamtiv. Since he gives it to the shepherd and Yamtiv, he made his choice in Yamtiv since before Yamtiv. I didn't know which shepherd he's gonna go with. I have both options available. I don't know which one the owner had in mind. But therefore we follow the owner. Not not the shepherd. The, the Braise that says that even if you give it to him on Yamtiv. You follow the shepherd because he's the only shepherd. So even before Shabbos, he knew that this is the shepherd I'm going to be giving it. And therefore, that's why you follow the shepherd. Deikonami, I'll, I'll prove to you that that's the correct interpretation. Diktani, it says, Our mission, it says, to his son, or Lidroya. So he has options. He has a son, he can give it to his son, or he can give it to the shepherd. Right. So since I don't know which one he has in mind, therefore, therefore you follow you follow the owner. In other words, his son was also a shepherd. So I can give it to my son who's a shepherd. I can give it to, to a stranger who's a shepherd. I have options. So therefore, it doesn't matter whichever one he gave it to. You follow the owner. Shmami not approved. The law follows Rabbi Yudabdeisa. That you follow, you follow the shepherd, even if you hand it to him on Yom Tov, if he's the only shepherd in town. 
really say this? The law follows us. And we learn later on the next Mishnah, the following Mishnah. The animal and the vessels follow follow the uh, the owner. So the Mishnah says that you follow the owner. You don't follow the shepherd. So you might answer, didn't we already explain this? It's not an argument. When does the Mishnah say you follow the, the owner if you have two shepherds? The owner has options. Then we give it to him if you follow the owner. But he says that law is like Rabdais. Rabdais is teaching us that if there's only one shepherd, and even if you hand him Yamtiv, you follow the shepherd. And then if Rabbi Yechon is correct, the law follows Rabbi Yechon. It's not a contradiction to the Stam Mishnah. And the rabbis learn, so what if two people borrow together one, one shirt? This one, <laughs> like, like, uh, like Yaakov and Esau. This one wants to borrow the, the nicer shirt because he has to go to Shul. This one wants to borrow the night shirt because he wants to go. He wants to go to the club at night in the evening. He wants to go party. So they borrowing it together. I'll use it at night. You use it in the morning. This one made an ative. He made his ative in the northern side of town. So he's only allowed to go to the north of the town. He can go one one mile, one foot step, one foot out of the southern part of the town. But the other one, his partner, was out of Leladadim. He made a native on the south southern part of town. So he extended his. So he's only allowed to go. He's not allowed to step one foot outside of the uh, right of, of the northern part of town. So so the one who made the Eid of is only allowed to go Litzafin only as far as the one on the southern side who made an Eid of the southern is allowed to go. For example, let's say he didn't make the full Tchum Shabbat. Okay, here's the city, right? So you can go 2,000 Amas. The Eid of is 2,000 Amas on this side, 2,000 Amas on this side. So if he would make an Eid of over here to extend, he can go 2,000 Amas to town, 2,000 Amas, another 2,000 Amas. He wouldn't be allowed to take one step here. If he would make a native at the end of 2,000 Amas, he would be allowed to go another 2,000 Amas here, 2,000 Amas in the town. Not a one step out. What if he made the native in the middle? 1,000 Amas out of town. So he wants to extend, because he wants to get the shul is 3,000 Amas from the town. So he, all he needs is to make 1,000 native. He made a native on this side, on the southern side, 1,000 Amas because the club, the party hall, is, uh, is, is 3,000 Amas from town. So therefore, he only lost. Each one only loses one thousand amas on the other side. It still extends. He still has one thousand amas because the whole town is considered like four amas. He can still go another thousand amas. So therefore, the one on the north, even though he made a native for three thousand amas, this shirt he can only take to one thousand amas out of town, and the other and vice versa. If he made a native one thousand amas here, and, and his this one limit is over here, 1,000 Amas. So this one, even though he made a native and he can go all the way till here, he, this shirt he can only bring wherever this one can walk, can take it, could walk, that's where he can bring the shirt. Wherever this one can walk, that's when this one on this side can bring. 
Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, good. Okay. But if they went all the way to the, the, the extent, the maximum extent you can extend it to, I can't move it, I can't budge it. You can't take a one foot in this direction, I can't take a one foot in this direction. He can't take it where he wants it, he can't take it where he wants to go. We learned two people bought a barrel and an animal, they're partners. Rav says, the barrel, each one is allowed to take his portion, his 50%. Wherever he's allowed to walk, he's allowed to bring the content, the 50% that belongs to him, he can carry wherever he, wherever he can go. But the animal is prohibited. You're only allowed to take the animal where both of them are allowed to walk. Like we just explained. Wherever both of them are allowed to walk. And if this one made it all the way to the north, this one made it all the way to the south, then you can't move the animal. That's Rab's opinion. And that's the halacha, like Rab. Shmuel argues. Shmuel says, Even the barrel... Oh, the same, you have the same limitation. You're only allowed to take. Each one's allowed to take his 50%. Only we're both of them allowed to go. What's the argument? What does the rabbi hold? If he holds the principle that the Yezbededa, that after you divide the 50%, so you clarify retroactively that this 50% was always his. So when Yom Tov started, it, it belonged to him and therefore it has the same tchum as him, the same limit as him then I feel even the animal should be allowed when you slaughter the animal you cut the animal in half each one he takes half of the animal he should also be allowed to take the meat wherever he's allowed to walk therefore the animal you're not allowed to take the animal wherever he can go only we're both of them allowed to go I feel then even the barrel should also be prohibited but answers really Rab holds there is a and that's the halacha. V'sham yebehem, but the animal is different. Because yant gitchum the barrel you can separate fifty-fifty, but here the animal you can't separate. An animal is one organic whole. An organism is a living dynamic whole. I can't separate it. So each one, each fifty percent, each partner's fifty percent is drawing its life, its sustenance, its energy from the other fifty percent. So therefore. And Yantuf started, therefore, each one has the limitations of both of them. Only allowed to go where both of them are allowed to walk. Mukt is a problem of Muksa here. Each one divorced his mind, his consciousness, from the part that belongs to his friend. Never, if they wanted to eat it here, there's not a problem. There's no problem of mukta, right? Okay, let's say you say you can't move it. The animal has to stay right here. Because he made his tchum all the way to the north, he made his tchum all the way to the south. Okay, so you can't move the animal, but you're allowed to slaughter it here and eat it. Why? Why isn't it mukta? Each one had a mind. I'm only going to eat from my 50%, half of the animal. The other half 
why don't you say that each half, it should be mukta because each half also sustains itself and nourishes itself from the other half. When it comes to muksa, it's not a problem. When it comes to isut chumin, which is also rabbinic, chashashu, suddenly it becomes a problem. Shasik Rav. Rav was silent. He didn't, regr- he didn't change his mind. It's interesting. Shasik Rav means he didn't know how to answer. It's a very logically compelling, powerful question. But it wasn't enough to change his mind. He still knew that this is the emes. This is the halach. And that is the halach. Chavis is allowed. The behemoth is not allowed. But he asked a logically powerful question. Why the distinction? Why when it comes to the Yisra of Mukta, the rabbis weren't worried that this 50%. Of, when it comes to the Yisra of Tchum, and the rabbi suddenly said, oh, we can't because it's 50%, 50%, and they're all one. My Havilah, what's the bottom line? No, your friend's food is mukta for you. It's, I'm, I, my mind is not in my. It doesn't belong to me. My mind is not in my friend's food. You can't move my friend's food on Shabbos. Oh, was it? When you say mukta, mean like it wasn't even touched. First, it was an animal. We're not talking about you. So it wasn't, it wasn't, my mind was on my half of the animal that I'm going to eat. So the other half, the other half remains, remains muksa. I can't have my friend with his meal Oh, if it was shechted before Yom. Oh, if he shechted it. I thought muksa means that I won't touch it. No, but here specifically, this is not mine. This is mine. It wasn't prepared, right. It was like saying that you didn't have a mind. Before Yom, he didn't have a mind that he would have access to this food or something. Right. He, he didn't, maybe it doesn't matter if he didn't have a mind, he can use it now, so it's fine. So maybe, technically, maybe there, he knows his friend, maybe they could shuck the animal at any time. If you were to shuck the animal, then, I don't know. Like, my half. He has a mind, he can, yeah. But my half, I'm going to eat. also eat the other half. Why? No, it's his friend, he can't eat the other half. It doesn't belong to me. It's not a gun, can't eat the other half. So it's muksa. You're asking why could you move your friend's uh, food? Very good. Well, Tais is asking a question. What if your friend, Tais is asking Rabbi Yehi's question. What if, a, what if your friend gave you food in Yantu? You're not allowed to eat from it. You'll have to send an animal to your friend to eat, eat in Yantif, whether they're alive, whether they're shagish, they're, they're slaughtered. So why is it mukt? Why would it be mukt? So therefore, the, the Rabbeinu Shmuel says that the animal grows on Yantif. Every day, the animal's alive, it becomes fatter and fatter. Every day, you know, our Nefesh Abamis becomes fatter and fatter every day. A <laughs> bigger behemoth. And um, and you and you you're not worried about. It. In other words, the you were, you had in mind the part that you're going to eat, but the part. Right, as we say, and and you don't you don't care about it. Right, you're allowed. You don't have to worry about it, even though the animal, the part that was added. You had in mind the animal that was present before Yom, not the animal 
This is a new part of an animal. But if you say that the animal is one organic whole, one organism, and therefore each part, each part sustains itself from the other, it's all one. So therefore that addition of the animal is muktzah, is out of my mind, so the rest of the animal should become muktzah. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be allowed to slaughter any animal, yamtiv. it's muktzah. The Torah explains in Rashi, what Rashi means is, of course food is not muktzah, your friend's food is not muktzah, that's not what he means. But since each partner make, was acquired their rest and Shabbos, their quarantine, the different, the different area, so therefore you separate in your mind, I can't eat from my friend. When do you say your friend can send you an animal if you're both in the same area? But if you know your friend made, made a tchum, I can't go to him, he can't go to me, so I, I can't have his meat, because we're not in the same area on Yom so, so then, then even my food I shouldn't be able to eat. Because since it's all yearning from each other, just like the other, my friend's meat is muksa because it's out of my mind. Because I know my friend, is, we're not, I can't even go to him if I wanted to. We're not in the same trum. So therefore even my 50% should be prepared. Because it was all yearning, it's all one organism was yearning from the half that's muksa. Maybe, maybe like food in general is not muktzah. Right, right. The Rashba adds to your question, to Tesla's question. He says, why, why was Rav suddenly couldn't answer it? Suddenly Rav was silent. He was puzzled. He was puzzled. There's no muktzah. My friend's food, I can eat my friend's food. There's not trouble trying to muktzah. It's like the whole question. And why was Rav silent? Rav was silent. He didn't have the answer. Yes, your friend could eat from it. For your friend, it's not muktzah. If your friend wants to give you a portion of his, that's fine. But in your mind, his 50% is muktzah. It's not mine. It's not mine. So that alone, the fact that in my mind, his 50% is not mine, and the fact that it's one living organism, and, the, and the, my 50% is drawing its life from the other 50%, therefore it should be muktzah. That's the question. I mean, it's such a powerful question. That was silent. You know the answer. When you say that you can eat your friends, it's not muktzah having your friends' food. They can send you food. It's because people who are friends who always send dishes to each other. So you, you did have in mind. Your friend, you're hoping your friend will friend send you the taste from his new dish for yamtiv. You'll send them from your dish. But in our case, we're clearly it's fifty percent. It's not mine. It's his. It's not mine. Maybe in this case, it is muktzah. Yeshua says that a person doesn't divorce his mind from his friend's food. Maybe my friend would send me food. Here, I could have slaughtered the animal out of Yamtif. I didn't. I didn't slaughter the animal out of Yamtif. So therefore, he did divorce his mind from it. He wasn't planning to eat it at all, perhaps. Maybe in Yamtif he changed his mind and he slaughtered it, but he wasn't planning to eat it. Anyway, it's it's. So what's the bottom line? So again, an argument. Abayish says there is brededa. Abayish said there is no brededa. So frankly, mother of Sabra Abayish is brededa. How could you say there's brededa with none? We learned, we learned in the Mishnah, Nedavin, which brought down earlier in the tractate, Hamais, Babais. 
there's a there's a corpse in the house and it has a lot of doors all the doorways are all tummy anything that's in the in the doorway is tummy right but what if one of them one of them is opened it saves all the other doorways because since this is the door that I'm going to take the, the corpse out from so therefore it saves on all the other doors in the beginning before I designate the door I don't know which door I'm going to take it out maybe all of them maybe this one maybe that one so therefore all of them are tummy but if I've already designated which door then all the other doorways are, are exempt are not part of the house like that. Yeah, yeah, even if they're closed. So if you're in the doorway, you're not in the house, you're standing in the doorway. <laughs> what if he just had a mind? He didn't practically, physically open a door. He just was thinking, okay, this is, I'm going to open this door and I'm going to take the, the corpse out through this door or from, the, or from this window. Yes, that's four by four tvachim, which is like... Um, like a, a a foot by a foot, Matzelas al So that saves in all the doors. That already saves in all. The, so since even does designating it in your mind, I'm gonna take out from this door, saves all the other doors. Vishami says he qualifies Only before the the corpse, before the the person died. And he had a mind. When he dies, I'm going to take it out from this door. Then it saves all the other openings. Even if he only decided after it became a corpse, after the person died. But retroactively, you can say that when the person died, when it became a corpse, that, that this door was the designated door to exit. And therefore, that door is impure if he's standing in the doorway. But all the other doorways are pure. That this argument is only from now on, going forward. Not retroactively. In other words, if a person was already standing in the doorway, when the person died, and the person was standing in the doorway, and then he had a mind, he decided, I'm going to exit from this door. So you don't say retroactively when the person died, the other doorways were impure. No, that's too late. What was done is done. It's only from the going forward. If a person now stands in the door, even though he had a mind afterwards, after the fact, he can designate the door. So we see that she says there is no brede, uh, it doesn't help retroactively. That according to Beis Hillel, Mishiyamas Ameis only helps from now going forward, but not retroactively. Beis Hameis says that even going forward, it's too late. When all that matters is when the when the court when the person died, when that person died, either door was an option. So therefore, all doors are impure. It doesn't matter later on. You change your mind. You think. Beis Hillel says no. It could help. Thinking can help even after the court, but only from now going forward. Not a person who was already standing in the doorway before you decide. So you see clearly there is no bread. Gimara answers. 
Everything So you're right. You have to switch around. says there is no would learn that Hillel would hold even the person was standing in the doorway before you change your mind. After the person died, you become pure. Because it works retroactively. Brothers who inherited an estate. And then they divided, divide the estate, they like buy from each other. So on Jubilee, it goes back, everything is restored, it goes back to the original. So the estate goes back to the estate. And you need a new division. So Rabbi Yechner holds there is no breder. If there was a breder, why why are the kuchasein? The kuchasein. Why do you consider the brothers who are dividing in the state as if they're buying from each other? They're not buying; they're inheriting. It's only because I don't know which portion is yours, which portion is your, mine. Maybe this portion is yours, maybe this portion is mine. So they're selling to each other. You take this. I'll sell you. I'll sell you my portion, your portion. But if you hold the Ashbreda, there's no buying involved. Retroactively, it's clarifying that this is my portion. This is what always belonged to me. And if it wouldn't go back, it wouldn't go back in Jubilee. It wouldn't undo. The, 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 the division remains forever. If you want to answer that's only when it comes to something that's biblical. Then Rabbi Yechon holds it as no bread. When it comes to something rabbinic. When it comes to something rabbinic. There is no bread. Like in our case. About the, 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 the trumen, like the barrels. When they divide the barrels on Yantiv, you divide the, what, the content of the barrel on Yantiv, so you say that retroactively, this 50% belong to him, this 50% belong to him. By Tchumim, it's only Rabbinic. When it comes to Rabbinic, does Rabbi Yechon hold the Breda? Vatani, we learn. Vatani, I learned. Rabbi Yechon says, A person cannot make a condition on two things simultaneously. A person cannot make a native and make a condition. He'll put two eight of it. He heard that a wise man is coming to town. A, a wise man is coming to town. He wants to hear his drasha. But he doesn't know which direction he's coming, where he's coming, which base of methods is he coming. Is he coming to the one all the way on the, on the north side and then the south side? You know what? He'll put two tchobes and he'll make a condition. Whichever one, it turns out that the Chacham will come to, that Adiv kicks in and that Adiv enables him to go and listen to the drasha of the Chacham. He says he can't do that. He can't do simultaneously. It doesn't work. It only works only one person, one chach. Yeah, if it's one chach, I don't know which direction he's going. Then you could make a condition. You could make a condition. 
You know what? Actually, this is a whole involved discussion. Let, let's continue this. The mother just continues a whole page next. Let's uh, continue.